0: Good morning. Uh, my name is Bryce Johnson. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm one of the leaders here. If you have a copy of the scriptures, go ahead and open with me to Revelation chapter 21. Uh, Want to welcome you this morning for uh, surviving all the germs and things that are going around and uh, braving the 20 degree weather out there. Man, just so glad to see your faces and worship with you. Um, as Chad mentioned, we're just in the thick of things, right? We're just in thick. Of uh, the season, um, my wife and I were just reflecting last night how it just felt like Thanksgiving happened and all of a sudden we're a week away from Christmas. Um, and so whether this is a time of joy and celebration for you or, or it's a time of um, heartache and difficulty, I think we can all agree that this season is just full of a lot of things. Even though work may slow down for some of us, uh, our schedules and our time is just filled with so many things, right? We've got parties and decor galore, right? And just frosted cookies everywhere. And, and, and maybe you're like our family. Yeah, we, we put up our Christmas tree. Um, we put the lights up. Um, we put stockings on our mantle. Um, my daughter calls them sockings. And frankly, I think we've been calling them the wrong things the whole time. I think she's right. Um, right, but but, but the season just just full of things. The temperatures dropping, and Amazon packages are showing up at our door, and and uh, we watched uh, I, for the first time last night. I watched a miracle on 34th Street, and got lots of thoughts, not all of them good. Uh, but 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 it's just that season, just that season, right? My my wife opened or ordered a peppermint mocha the other day, and and I thought this is the only season where it's okay where you can order a peppermint mocha. Every other time it's just inappropriate. Um, And next Sunday, my family's going to sit down, and we're going to open up Gospel of Luke, and we're going to read of Jesus' birth. This is just full of so many things. And I don't know if if you're anything like me, your mind is in all sorts of places right now. And so what I'd love to do is for us to pray together um, and pray that God would center our hearts um, and speak to us this morning. And so, friends, if you would bow your heads with me and pray, God Almighty, I thank you that... You love us so much that you would reveal yourself to us through your word. God, I pray, Lord, that that as we open your word this morning, God, that your spirit would convict us where we need to be convicted. Would you comfort us where we need to be comforted, and God, would you conform us more and more to the image of Jesus. God, I I pray, Lord, that my words would be uh, in clarity of speech, um, and more than that, Lord, that your spirit would... Take my words, God, and do what my words could not do, and that is to transform lives and bring hope. Your sons, let me pray. Amen. I, I read an article this week uh, about this phenomena that uh, astronauts who spend a lot of time in space uh, experience. It's called the overview effect, and maybe you've heard of it. But it's essentially that they spend so much time in space that, that, that they see the earth from a different vantage point. And it gives them a different perspective, right? From from space, you you don't see um, boundary lines. You don't see um, ethnic or religious uh, dissimilarities, or uh, you don't see conflict. You don't see economic inequalities. What what you see is a planet that almost seems uh, like an integrated organism, right? The astronauts talk about seeing flashes of lightning storms, and, and you see auroras, but you also see how thin our atmosphere is that, that's, that keeps us from burning up. Uh, you see, you get just this different perspective. And, and astronauts talk about from that vantage point, you see how everything's interconnected and everything feels so fragile. Right? And, and it's disconcerting, but it's also sobering because you get this different perspective. You pull back from the everyday on-the-ground experiences, and you get a different vantage point of a larger reality of what's going on. And that's what we get every week when we open the Word of God. But in a special way, especially during this season, that the church is called Advent. Advent is when we look uh, at Jesus' return through the lens of his first coming. We, we, we get to see a different advantage, but we get to see what God is actually doing in the world. And so many times in this season, we focus on the beautiful reality that Jesus has come. Right? And what a glorious reality it is, what a glorious truth that Jesus came and he dwelt among us, God put on flesh. But what we neglect is one of the things that the church historically has focused on. It's, it's one of the major thrusts of the New Testament. And it's that Jesus is actually coming back. He will return just like he said. See, Advent isn't just about little baby Jesus in a manger, Advent actually wrestles with some of the biggest questions that you and I ask, especially if we're Christians. Questions like, if Jesus is Savior and he's God, then why is there still so much bad stuff going on in the world? Questions like, if Jesus is really the resurrection and the life, then why do I still go to funerals and anticipate my almost certain death? For Christians, we believe that God will fully resolve everything when Jesus comes back. And so Advent wrestles with what it means that the kingdom of God has already come and yet has not fully come. And so this year, that's what we've tried to do. We've explored some of those questions with what will happen when Jesus returns. So we've talked about how we live with this hope that Jesus really will come back, that we're not living in perpetuity, just kind of hoping that everything gets better, but Jesus will return and put all things right. We've wrestled with, uh, or we've looked at the reality that death is still a reality for us, but that one day soon, even death will die. And we will uh, uh, look forward to the Christian hope of the resurrection of the dead. And last week, Chad walked us through what it means uh, that judgment is coming, where God brings his justice and his uh, uh, righteousness on evil and wickedness, and how he calls us to live out the identity that we've been saved into. And this morning, the question I'll look at Again, it's the question of evil and pain in the world, but not the question that last week answered. Last week, we looked at what God, God's justice upon evil and wickedness. But what about the carnage that's left behind? What about those of us who have experienced evil and wickedness upon us? The Bible doesn't just give us a picture of evil being punished, though it does. It gives us a picture of broken things being made new. So this morning, we're going to look at the promise of a new heavens and a new earth. That the beginning of the end, is not that God just takes us up to heaven when we die, but that God brings heaven to earth. Now, now, this morning, some of what we are going to explore might smack against some of what you grew up hearing or believing. Um, And if that's true, man, there, Chad, Jeff, myself, we'd love to talk with you and process uh, some of that with you. But my humble request is that you would uh, humbly submit to what Scripture gives us in the vision, and that we would you would jump in with us. And so, again, if you have a copy of Scriptures, would you open up to Revelation chapter 21? Uh, if you grew up in church, Revelation might have felt like a scary book to you, right? There's just all sorts of things going on, um, and there's symbols, and 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 maybe you grew up thinking that this is this is how you determine uh, like the end of times or what's going to come on and Beside all that, I hope one day we get to do a series on Revelation. Revelation gives us a picture of what's going on behind the scene. And what we're about to see right now is a vision that the Apostle John sees of the future that's coming. It's like the fabric of reality gets pulled back a little bit, and he sees a reality. So there's a lot of symbols. There are a lot of things going on. What I would hope is that our imaginations are bathed with with this imagery. So read with me. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. That's quite a thing to see, right? A new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And so maybe the question ought to be, well, why has the first heaven and the first earth passed away, right? Well, like, what are we seeing here? In order to understand this, you have to understand the whole storyline of the Bible. Way back... In the beginning, page one of your Bibles, right? The Bible starts with God creating everything good and right and pure and beautiful and whole. There's no death. There's no sadness. There's no pain. And that lasts about two and a half pages because by page three on my Bible, humanity has messed everything up. They've messed everything up by rebelling against God and choosing to disbelieve Him and His promises, They chose evil by doubting God's goodness. And in a moment, their relationship with God, their relationship with each other, their relationship with even how they view themselves, and their relationship with creation were all broken. And and, and like a virus that spreads its ickiness across everything it touches, sin and brokenness just spreads across the cosmos, across the created order. Romans 8 tells us that it's not just that sin has spread its evil is that God actually subjects creation to futility and corruption. And so brokenness and pain and corruption are a result of sin. The very earth itself, creation, has been tainted by sin and brokenness. And so now humans who weren't meant to die, die, and before they die, experience suffering. But it's not just humans, right? Animals experience suffering and death. But it's not just humans and animals, it's the very earth itself. Tornadoes rip apart cities and destroy everything in their paths and, and take lives. The sun itself, which is given as a blessing to, to bless us and, and help food grow, now threatens to scorch the earth and even destroy us. Tsunamis and floods kill thousands of people every year. Cancer and disease sneak up on us unannounced, sucking the life out of us. Bodies that were meant to bear beautiful babies sometimes don't, or result in miscarriage, or sometimes result in babies with extreme disability. Some of you may may know this. My, uh, I have two kids, and both my kids have an incredibly rare genetic disorder. They inherited a gene from both their mom and I, and, uh, and it, what it means is that they can't eat certain things, um, and... Uh, but it also means inevitable pain um, and hospital stays for the future. And barring some sort of, some sort of uh, breakthrough in the future, they're going to live a life of certain chronic pain um, that's going to lead to other complications of their lives. There are about 300 people in all the U.S. that have this condition, and two of them live in my house. Our world is broken because of sin. Now, now, please hear me. I'm not saying these things happen because you sinned or I sinned. I'm not saying that you're sick and suffering because you sinned or someone close to you died because they didn't repent in time. But sin as a whole, as a category, has warped creation and has done messed everything up. Even Jesus, right? Think about this. Even Jesus, who lived a sinless life, a perfect life, right? who lived in... Perfect obedience to God experienced the sadness of the death of a friend. Even Jesus experienced suffering himself, experienced the pain of death himself. No one is untouched by the corrupting effect of sin. And I know even in this room, there are individuals and families that are walking through illness and pain. That are wrestling with loneliness and, and mental health issues. Struggling with the season that God, season of life that God has you in that feels way too long to be called a season. Struggling with conflict in families and struggles at work and the pain of the economy, struggling with a body that doesn't seem to be working properly. We're surrounded by brokenness and suffering and how do we deal with it? We, we, we distract ourselves with things, don't we? We, we distract ourselves with endless doom scrolling, and substances that take the edge off, and, and, and even devoting our attention and affection on families and hobbies and, and, and good things. And the, the solution or the hope that the world has to offer is usually one of two, two ways, right? One, on the one hand, we, we try to fix the brokenness that we see in the world, right? We, we think that with the right medicine, with the right education, with the right scientific breakthrough... Uh, with the right politician, with the right public policies, we can fix what's broken. It's an optimistic hope that together we can cure what's messed up, that life will ultimately get better. It's fueled by optimism that the the world is on this trajectory of progressively getting better. And yet, if history has shown us anything, it's that we find more and more sophisticated ways to hurt each other and hurt creation. The other option is just suck it up and deal with it, right? Like, life dealt you a bad, bad, bad hand, so deal with it. You can't fix it, but you can make the best of what you have. Make some lemonade with those lemons. But the solution with the, that the Bible gives us is not that we have to suffer forever and just deal with it, but it's also not that if we get all the right things in place that we can fix it if we try hard enough. The biblical vision is that God is going to redeem and renew creation, that he brings a new heavens and a new earth. So so let me read Revelation 21.1 again. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Now, what can be hard to tell in our English translation is the word, uh, new that's used here. There's two words in the Greek for new. One is like a newness in, in time, right? So it's like my son, uh, April 18th of this year was a new baby. He didn't exist outside of the womb prior to that, and then he did. Or if you, if you bought a new car, right? That is a new car. But there's another word that, that's, a, that's a newness in quality, Right? It means kainos. It means like, not that it didn't exist before, but but it's new in a unique way. It's new in its substance. And that's what John says he sees. He says he sees a kainos heaven and a kainos earth, meaning God didn't just recreate a brand new heaven and ne- a brand new earth out of nothing to replace the heaven and earth, but rather that God has redeemed and restored and transformed heaven and earth, so that it appears new, it appears whole, it appears right. And the picture he gets at is that heaven comes to earth, they're actually joined together. Right? So, so when he says that the first heaven and the first earth passed away, it's, it's the manner that they existed has passed away. They, they, they were separate, the earth was marred by sin and corruption, but God is restoring what's been lost. Sometimes, especially in Christian circles, we, 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 the picture that we um, see or hear is that our earth is going to hell in a handbasket. And so, what God is doing is he's um, reaching into the shipwreck and pulling out individuals, and then they could all watch the ship go down in flames. Right? The, the God is pulling us out of the earth uh, to, to watch it go down in flames. But, but the biblical picture is actually that God is going to redeem and restore what's broken. God's not saving humanity by taking them out of earth to heaven when they die. God is saving humanity and bringing heaven to earth. And then we get the, this, this really interesting line. It says, and the sea was no more, which feels weird, right? It feels like, feels like God hates the beach, right? Maybe he's more of a mountains guy. I don't know, you know? But, but all over the Bible, especially in the, New, uh, the Old Testament, the, the sea represents evil and chaos and the unknown and judgment It's what couldn't be controlled and the place from which the enemies came from. And so when John describes that the new earth has no sea, what he's saying is that, hey, evil and chaos has been dealt with finally. So here's the point. If all this imagery is getting lost on you, here's the point. All the trouble and pain and sorrows of this world will not exist in the world to come. So many of us have become so used to to pain in our lives or in our bodies or in our relationships. And we just assume it's always going to be that way. And then one day we'll die and maybe it'll just go away. But this passage promises us that that God will actually do away with evil and wickedness. I I love it how one Christmas hymn uh, puts it, Joy to the World. There's a line that says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. This, is, this isn't a temporary peace. This isn't a peace that lasts for a few days or, or weeks or even centuries while we wait for the other shoe to drop. This is a forever reality. So God creates this new heavens and new earth, right? But, but what's in this new heavens and new earth? Well, Let's keep reading. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The former things will pass away, but God will be with mankind forever. Now, real quick, Bible quiz. Where else have we seen God dwelling with mankind? This is the first pages of Genesis, right? In Genesis, God creates everything. In the Garden of Eden, God walks with man in the cool of the day. In fact, so much of the last three chapters of uh, Revelation, it gives us a picture of a new Eden where evil and suffering and, and sin are banished and righteousness exists because that's where God is. But in Revelation, this garden has been transformed into a city, And we don't have time to go into all the Old Testament allusions to the Garden of Eden and the temple and the Holy of Holies, but but here's the main takeaway. We will dwell with God fully in his presence, experiencing the joy and wonder and satisfaction that he actually brings. I don't know if you caught it, but but notice what God does in this new creation. Verse 4 says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Have you ever wiped away a tear from someone's eyes, someone's face? Have you ever had your tears wiped away? I've been able to do that with my uh, daughter many times now. She's a toddler, so it's like every other hour. Uh, She's got so many tears, so many tears. But when I do it, right, when when I wipe the tears from her face, I'm I'm not doing it just because I want her face to be clean. I'm, I'm not doing it just because I want her to cry or to stop crying and get over it. I'm not just trying to offer empty words. I'm, I'm communicating something in that moment. I'm communicating, hey, Dada's here, and I'll take care of it. I'll make everything right. I'm communicating that she can trust me that whatever has caused your pain is no match for her data, who can actually fix it. It's, it's, a, it's a tender action. Friends, that's what's waiting for us in the new heavens the new earth. This picture... We have is God the Father stooping down to our level, taking our face in his hands and wiping away every tear. Tender action because he's here. God wipes away tears, not just so that you'll feel better, but to communicate that he's fixing what's caused you so much grief and pain. And he can do that because he will dwell with us. See, God doesn't just remove all evil and chaos in the new heavens and the new earth. Though he does, he does remove it. But he'll comfort you, and more than that, he's going to actually redeem every hurt you've experienced and the pain that you've carried in this life. One of the most um, incredible things after Jesus' resurrection, right? So Jesus comes back out, out of the grave. He's got a real body, but but it's, it's interesting in some ways. Like he walks through some walls, appears in some rooms, and so you think he might be a ghost or spirit. But then he also eats some grilled fish, and spirits don't eat fish, right? So there's some weird things going on. But what the Bible tells us is that's a glorified body that, side note, is the glorified body that we'll have in the new heavens and the new earth. But something that's so fascinating about that is that this glorified body displays signs of his crucifixion. It's how Jesus can hold out his hands to Thomas and say, here, put your finger in these marks. In my hands. Put your hands in my side. Friends, the wounds that you've received, the the gashes of grief, the bruises of brokenness and betrayal, are going to be displayed as scars of glory in the new creation. There is no wasted pain, there is no wasted suffering. You're suffering right now is not pointless. Your broken marriage that you've experienced is not pointless. Your shattered dreams, the loneliness you're experiencing right now is not pointless. There'll be testimonies of God's kindness and faithfulness in your life that you'll be displaying for all of eternity. I had a thought this week that my children, for the broken bodies that they have right now, if they trust in Jesus, and I hope and pray that they do, that they will receive new glorified bodies where the things that they eat don't try to actively kill them. And they will display in their bodies the glory of what they've walked through. One pastor in New York says it this way. He says, everything sad is going to come untrue and it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. Everything sad is going to come untrue. It's not a fairy tale. This is the reality that we're looking forward to. And moreover, we're actually going to be with God. And I hope that doesn't just pass by, right? Like, oh, yeah, that's going to be great. God's going to be there. We sing songs every week about the goodness of God and his mercy and his love. But in the new heavens and new earth, we're actually going to experience that in a unique way as we see God face to face. As he dwells with us, he's not going to be high above in another heaven. He's not going to be far from us. He's actually going to be with us, dwelling with us, among us. And the presence of God will be a comfort because he's going to meet and satisfy all that we've ever wanted. Imagine this: there's going to be no unmet needs in the new heavens and the earth. There's going to be no unfulfilled dreams. The new creation. There'll be no wistful memories, no pain of regret for those of us who are in Christ because the very presence of God will meet every longing of our hearts. So friends, can I ask you, what's weighing heavily on your heart right now? What's the prayer that you've been praying, and asking God over and over that He doesn't seem to be answering? Can I offer that you won't be carrying that into the new creation? Because not only will you be remade whole, but God will be with you and me. We're going to work and live and worship in the new Eden. And all this sounds great, doesn't it? What does that mean now? Do we just sit around waiting for the new heavens and new earth, just twiddling our thumbs? No, because this redemption isn't just a future hope, though it is. It's a present reality that has already begun for us. It's already begun for us. Look at verse 5. And he who is seated on the throne, this is God, said, Behold, I am making all things new. Maybe it's been a while since you've taken uh, an English class, but there's a shift in, in, in tense there. Notice the present tense. I am making all things new. It doesn't say, one day he's going to make all things new. You just have to wait till that happens. It doesn't say, one day he's going to make new things. It says, I am right now making all things new. He's already begun the work through Christ. This is what we celebrate and observe at Christmas every year, that God came and dwelt among us and started this new creation work, right? So, John chapter 1, verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That word dwelt, dwelt among us, is the same word that Revelation 21 uses, that God will dwell among us. Literally, that God will make his tent among us. That God will tabernacle among us. See, in Jesus, you have God, You have fully God and fully man joined together. You literally have heaven meeting earth completely overlapping. And in Jesus, God dwelt among us. And think about what he taught and did among us. He he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He preached the kingdom of God is at hand. And he preached of the kingdom of God uh, in his life, Jesus gives us, glimpses of the world that is to come. So he he healed incurable diseases and he cast out demons. More than that, he forgave sins. He raised people from the dead and then in his substitutionary death, he gave us forgiveness of our sins and was raised by God to life so that if we might turn from our rebellion and turn to him, we might have life. So this is why in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, If anyone is in Christ, so if you, me, your neighbor, that person you think is so far, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. It's the same language as Revelation 21, new creation. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, he's already actually begun that new creation work in you right now. Friends, this this is not an active or this is not a passive waiting where we're just waiting around. There is an active component in it because you are new creation right now in this moment. You and I carry in ourselves glimpses of this reality that's coming. It's almost like we're time travelers. We're, We're pictures of the future that are right now. Paul says in the same passage that we're ambassadors for Christ. Listen, you don't have to fix yourself up. You don't have to try to fix this brokenness in your life. You don't have to cover it up with the veneer of having it all together. You're already, right now, new creation. Now, you're not fully as you will be one day. One day you'll have glorified bodies and glorified hairlines and still living bodies that are fully fully restored, right, that aren't decaying. We still live in bodies that are broken and struggle against sin, but the Spirit of God has already placed new creation seed in you when he gave you new birth. And the New Testament says that the Holy Spirit is a, use this language, foretaste. It's a foretaste of what's to come. You're, you're, you're a glimpse, you're a beginning taste of the reality that's coming. And when Jesus returns, he will finish the work that he began. He'll completely make all things new and whole. But in the meantime, you and I are ambassadors. We have an identity. We don't just go around living life, just kind of hope, you know, hoping that one day things get better or just letting life happen to us. We are pictures of God's reality to the world. We're witnesses of what's to come Friends, we are eschatological, eschatological ambassadors. We're, we're pictures of the new, what's to come. We bring resurrection hope wherever we go. Wherever we go. In the same passage, Paul says that we're new creations so that we can be agents of reconciliation. And we don't do this by our own power. We do this by the power of the Holy Spirit that's within us. So what this means is that as you raise your kids and show them the grace by which God has shown you, you are actually a foretaste of the kingdom to come. When you bring peace and reconciliation, where there is no peace and reconciliation, where there is conflict, and you bring it in the way that God has made peace and uh, reconciliation with you and I, you, in that moment, right now, are a foretaste the kingdom to come. When you work to undo oppression and, and correct injustice and seek the flourishing of the least among these, as you do that, you are a foretaste of the new creation. Friends, when you seek to walk in righteousness and holiness and follow the way of Jesus in the path of, that Jesus lays out, you are displaying a foretaste. Right now, of the new heavens and new earth that's coming. And listen, when you fall and fail and mess up badly and repent and turn to Jesus, you are a forte, a picture that the kingdom is not fully here, but it is coming. Friends, if you're in Christ, you have the power of God in you, living and working in you right now. So, 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 so listen as Paul, Paul reminds us of this future that's coming in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected us. So this is Genesis 3 language. Creation was subjected in futility, to futility, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is Revelation 21. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. We ourselves who have the firstfruits of the Spirit. Listen, you are firstfruits of the creation to come. We ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. We ourselves who have the firstfruits of the Spirit We're waiting for the day that's coming when God, when our bodies will be redeemed. I don't know if you caught that first line. It changes how we live right now. It changes how we walk right now. Paul, uh, Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. It changes how we suffer, right? Because our sufferings are not, can't compare to the glory that's coming. He's not minimizing your suffering. He's not minimizing your pain. I know some of you in this room are walking through some incredibly difficult and hard things right now. And one day, God will wipe away every tear, and you will see the beauty of the glory of what God has accomplished through it. But what this passage offers us right now is that overview effect. It's that perspective. That, hey, this is not the end of the story that as you suffer, and as you walk, and as you live, there's hope coming. So that changes how you live, it changes how you walk, it changes how you approach your suffering even right now. This is the promise for all of us who put our faith in Jesus. And if you're in here and you haven't, this picture can be yours. Verse 6 God says, To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The only thing you need is thirst. And Jesus promises to quench that thirst. If you need to bring anything else, just bring yourself. Friends, let's pray.